Hello and welcome to the Hydra Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview, I'm joined by David Kim, who's running for office in California's 34th Congressional District. David Kim, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's an honor. You're running to replace incumbent Democrat Jimmy Gomez in California's 34th Congressional District. Why do you believe that he's not serving the district as well as you believe he could be and you would seek to be if you're elected in November? Jimmy Gomez um, was elected in a special election in 2017 uh, to our congressional district. And um, before that, Xavier Becerra, who is now our current attorney general of California, was actually the prior congressman. And um, Xavier Becerra did some great things. Um, Unfortunately, he had to leave for his new position and Jimmy Gomez was elected. But it's been about three years um, since he's been elected to office, and Jimmy really actually hasn't done much uh, in terms of what he could have done for Los Angeles and the 34th Congressional District. We are still the 10th poorest congressional district in the nation. It's not to say that that can be remedied so fast in, in a year or so, but there has been no measures of any kind, no policy. Um, introduced or legislation introduced to help uh, the situation of the 34th Congressional District. In some parts of our district, the per capita income is $15,000 a year, while the average rent for a one-bedroom apartment is still $2,000 a month. And so we have families, more than one family, living in apartments together, two to three families living in apartment units together. Um, most, More than 80% of the families living in the district, living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, We have 7,000 people living on Skid Row, which is uh, probably the most concentrated um, unhoused population in such a a small area in downtown LA in the nation. Uh, We have 60,000 who are still homeless in LA County. And so for a a representative to uh, represent our district on a federal level, you would think that the first and foremost thing, if homelessness is something that is hurting our district and our people's uh, lives really bad, where people are dying every day, you would think that a representative would do something about homelessness, do something about providing some sort of homes guarantee, do something about addressing the systemic um, errors that are obviously now more apparent even with this COVID-19 crisis. But during the past three years, he's done legislation like national something someday for some cause. And it was it's these types of policies and measures that he's passing when act, in actuality, what I believe is every decision that a, a elected official makes um, is a moral decision that affects thousands and millions of lives. And for our district, we're talking about even if you're putting this type of legislation, you should be doing legislation that really helps the people. Um, you are For Los Angeles, we have a housing crisis where the local and state government, because of the local zoning laws, because of uh, dirty politics, because of developer relationships with elected officials, Nothing's being done right now in Los Angeles, and we actually need the federal government to kind of step in and say, hey, guys, you can't be doing this. Like, 
these people are not just invisible ghosts that are living on the street. They're also human beings as well. And we need to do something about the housing situation here. So I haven't seen any of that on his end. I haven't seen any um, sort of strong stance on any progressive issues and measures that a lot of uh, kind of that young wave of progressives have been pushing for since 2016. And um, it's it's kind of sad to see. And so um, in our district is now ready uh, for, I think, and what's interesting to see that started with Bernie, with started with AOC is it's it's shining this light on career politicians who are establishment Democrats who've been in office for because prior to being our U.S. elected representative, Jimmy Gomez was also a state assembly member. And um, with these career politicians, because they've been in their political bubble for so long, they're not able to even fathom or imagine or experience or know what it's like to be in the daily hustle and grind of trying to make ends meet, of worrying, waking up in the morning and worrying about, oh my gosh, do I have enough money to pay rent for this month? Oh my gosh, do I have enough money to save at least for one month savings. And like, these are the questions that are popping up in the heads of every single constituent in this district. But if our representative is not doing anything about that, then there's a serious problem there. And in addition, it doesn't make sense that we have elected officials like Jimmy who preach free Medicare for all all who preach free public colleges for all, but then behind closed, well, not even behind closed doors, but then openly accept and pocket corporate donations from student debt collectors when he's promising free public colleges, uh, accepting money from big pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies when he's preaching free Medicare for all. And so for us, it's a matter of trust. It's a matter of ethics. It's a matter of what have you done so far in track record? Um, because every second that passes is super important. And if we have a, a person in office that's lukewarm, that is just there for the show and for the name, then that's then we don't need that. We need, actually need somebody who's championing, who's advocating for those real everyday life issues that our constituents are experiencing and facing, and not an elected official who's who who has a campaign war chest of $800,000 million, of which 98.8% are from corporate interests, from banks, from developers, from pharmaceutical companies. And, and so it's just, it's now we've come to a point where it's not enough to be a self-alleged Democrat. It's not enough to be a self-alleged progressive. But instead of talking the talk, now you're walking. Now you need to walk the walk and your actions need to show forth for it. And so I feel that what AOC did in her district with Joe Crowley, who was also an establishment Democrat, we also want to um, go ahead and, and continue that wave of it's not enough to just say you're a Democrat or to say you're progressive. And um, it's and for me, it's 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 not even about the party lines. It's really about the people. Are you a person that's really? really fighting for and championing for the people. If you say so, then let's then let's look at how your campaigns are been are being funded. Are they people powered? Are they 100 uh, percent corporate free? Are you actually addressing the real daily life issues that our people need for you to address in our district? And so it kind of really comes to that. And in this race, and um, I think the primary elections really show this time around 
where you he our incumbent had four challengers, um, and that's a lot. Four challengers as a, uh, to an incumbent, and with that, the incumbent was only able to garner uh, a very meager 52 percent. And uh, of the total vote for the primary election and for an incumbent, an incumbent should be getting at least 60 to 80 percent of the total vote if they're doing a good job. And so this really kind of confirms and shows that a lot of people and the general sentiment in our district is we're hurting right now and you're not doing anything about it. So step out and let's elect somebody that that wants to do something about it. And so um, that's the general sentiment here. And that's what we're that's what we're running on and, and just moving forward with at full force. You've proposed several measures to address economic inequality. Firstly, on your campaign website, you talk about how you want to create human centered capitalism. And also on your website, you talk about the universal basic income. So let's start with the universal basic income and then we'll move on in a moment to the human centered capitalism approach that you believe could change the way this economic system is for the better. You're a supporter of the universal basic income, a proposal that shot to prominence when it was put forward by former Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. The government is currently doing essentially a trial version, a one-off check to every citizen to help them with the coronavirus situation. But why do you support the universal basic income and believe that that is the right way forward to both support Americans, but also boost the US economy? Yeah, um, no, that's a great question. In regards to um, the jobs that are out there, yes, it's it's great to have uh, minimum wage enforced, and I'm all for jobs with living wages. But in the reality of it, in an, in a city like L.A., to live on a minimum wage job, that's economically impossible other than, I mean, yes, you can do it, but then you would need to be living with other families, other individuals. You would need to be taking out more debt on your credit card and, and loans. And so, so with that being said, more people are getting into more debt, even with having a minimum wage job. And so to level at the playing field, I think what's absolutely necessary is for the government to go ahead and recognize and realize that and say, you know what, 30 years ago, we actually used to be more people focused in the sense of our corporations used to have a duty of loyalty to the communities that they were in, to the projects that they did. It wasn't just considering and thinking about how to make the most money for their shareholders. 30 years ago, they also had a duty to the communities that were they were in and to the people of America. But now um, it's gone amok where the only interest that they have is for the interests of their shareholders. And so it's come to a point now where the government actually needs to step in and say, I see it. We see what's happening. We see that our people are going underwater right now and, and climbing into more debt. And if we actually don't do something about it, then this is going to be uh, really bad because the American people are the lifeline of what makes America. And so by giving a UBI, by providing that, we're putting cash directly into the hands of our people who know best how to use it um, instead of, I mean, obviously those listening I'm sure we have a lot of people that aren't happy with that quote-unquote economic stimulus package that was passed last week. 
uh, the two plus trillion. And, and so rather than having our government waste two, three weeks of trying and, and figuring out and bickering of what to do while we have millions of people getting laid off left and right, having no jobs right now during this crisis, give the cash directly to the hands of the American people. They know what's best and where they need to use it. Um, and so if we do that, then we're able to jumpstart the economy and go ahead and and provide that injection where now it's becoming a trickle up type of economy where they're able to go ahead and start that. I mean, with this one time check thing, that's definitely, I mean, it's a no. It's, it, it's, it, yes, people, people will be able to uh, live on that for um, a few days and, and several days. But but what's next after that? And so it's even in this crisis, the government should be providing a monthly UBI until the quarantine has been lifted in different parts of the nation, um, because otherwise, how is everybody going to pay? I mean, even with uh, moratoriums being put in place, they're not all they're Firstly, they're not moratorium blanket moratoriums. There's certain conditions involved. And even if they are. These people still have to pay back all of their back paid rent. So what do they pay it back with if they've had no income? And so these are the kind of things that are, it seems so obvious and so clear, but yet are completely ignored. And so for us to even start addressing how to go about addressing that third year income equality, that will take us, that will take us using and uh, collaborating with the best minds that we have in our nation and the best economics uh, uh, economists to go ahead and address and, and discuss that together in a round table. But to go ahead and start that off, we can't wait to continue for a solution until that happens. To start that off, we need a UBI in place to help our people now because people are bleeding and we need to go ahead and address that bleeding right now. And so UBI in a way is also a very immediate and also a very permanent solution. I mean, if if those of you who are listening now, if you haven't read uh, Andrew Yang's War on Normal People, we're in a time and an in, in age where we are in our fourth industrial revolution and we, where we are going towards um, a state of automation where you go to an Amazon warehouse and there's more robots than people working there. And so eventually these jobs a federal jobs guarantee I'm still all for and support of. But what happens when there are no jobs in situations and crises like this? Do the jobs even matter? And if our, if our ability to feed ourselves and our sustenance and, 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 um, and way to feed ourselves is tied to our job, if our healthcare is tied to our jobs, then during crises like this, what happens? Are we creating some sort of backup plan or or actually a, a system in place to go ahead and help with that. And so I think how our government has been so far, it's it's been more of this car mechanic repair mentality where we're doing fixes here and there to solve this problem, to solve that, without actually having a long-term view of where our country is going and what we need to do before we go into this direction. Because otherwise, we can easily become like those dystopian movies that Hollywood uh, produces where there's chaos and disorder. And so I think it's come time. To, it's, it's, now, it's now a time where our people have realized holy crap, guys, we need to take care of our future right now. We actually need to elect people that have radical, bold ideas um, and, and that want to systemically 
fix all of the areas that that we see lacking in. And so um, that's the financial freedom and UBI part of it. It's so needed uh, where our people are struggling right now. You talk there about looking to the future and on your website under the UBI section, you mention about how the, quote, robot apocalypse will, quote, severely affect our working class with technological automation and mass layoffs. Now, undoubtedly, technological advancement will continue and it will fundamentally change what the workforce looks like. But despite any government support in the form of things like the UBI, it's going to affect how people are employed, the work they do, the skills that are required. How do you protect workers and prepare them for what is the inevitable future here so that they are able to survive and thrive in the new future economy? Yeah, no, that's a very important question. And um, and it's a very it's a very serious question and a reality check for all of us. I mean, uh, me, myself being an attorney, um, there are uh, the the talk in our industry is um, I don't know if you're familiar with the platform LegalZoom, um, but uh, one of the co-founders then developed another system where they're able to streamline even the lawyering profession where there will be a time where you won't need any personal injury attorneys, where you won't need any labor and employment attorneys, or or, or where you won't need any landlord-tenant attorneys, because now they're streamlining it to the, to the part where they project in the next 10 years, a huge percentage of attorneys will be without work. Um, but yet, without work, they'll still have law school debt. Uh, to to go ahead and 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 needing to pay off and what are we going to do about that and so it's kind of looking and projecting far out like how do we go about preparing for this and and it's and it's in the sense of uh, what type of system and future are we looking at and and it's preparing it's not only just giving a UBI to our people, but then also implementing different job skills programs. Um, and that's where we can really connect it with the Green New Deal that was initially proposed um, by AOC and other other Democrats. I know Andrew Yang had his own type of Green New Deal, but it's but whichever Green New Deal plan it is, it's tying that with the future because another important issue that we that our elected officials uh, must face and address and some are addressing is climate change because it's a serious threat to our generation and our future generations. So how do we go about preventing that? And so with with reversing climate change, we can go ahead and prepare people for that job sector um, where where we can be working with robots and with automation where there will be certain components that the robots and, and automation will be able to help fulfill and and satisfy, but then there will be those other other roles where a human being would be needed in that sense. And so it's it's bringing everybody to the table and working out a solution to address how we go moving forward with this. And so and that's where it's realizing, you know what, there's going to be a time where people are going to be working or only can work one to two days a week um, because of where we're going. And, and if that's the case, how do we let our people survive? And so it's coming up with different ways of living, whether it be 
with um, collectivized living arrangements or whether it be uh, sustainable um, agriculture where we're growing it ourselves. And so it's finding new ways where we need to push forward into this new age and where we're not living in this 80s, 90s mentality of, of where corporate America has been. And so in order to do that, there needs to come also political reforms. We need to have congressional term limits where we're electing people from amongst us, from our different communities, where, where we're hearing new ideas from the people in the working class and where we're moving forward and we're not, and we're not um, in a situation where the masses of people in America are being controlled by an elite uh, class of career politicians and, and billionaires. And so this is the fundamental change and shifts that need to occur. Um, am I hopeful that it will continue, it, that it will happen? Yes, because we have... Um, we, we have uh, we have a lot of congressional candidates across the nation, whether it be Jonathan Herzog, uh, whether it be Morgan Harper, uh, whether it be other people in their own states and districts running for office right now, realizing that if if we don't step up, then who else is? And so it's that it's, it's with that mentality that you see all of these candidates who would not have run for Congress before now run for Congress because our nation and our communities have become into the state, have come to this state where we are now. Um, so that's a very important question. Do you think that the situation that the country has come towards at the moment, at the present moment, and where it is heading in the future is part of the reason why it's crucial, as you've suggested, to look at the type of economic system that America champions? You've not gone as far as some of your other progressive democratic colleagues who propose more what would be classed as socialist policies. You proposed it as human-centered capitalism, where you essentially want people to look, instead of at corporate profits, about the people who are affected by the actions of those corporations. Could you talk a bit more about that system that you're proposing and how you would ensure that companies took themselves away from that profit-centered focus to that human-centered approach? Yeah, um, that's a very great question as well. Um, we are actually, before I start on that, we are actually scrapping the word capitalism, and we will actually be changing it to human-centered economy, um, because that's, that's how we should be moving forward. And it's not to say that I'm... Um, shunning capitalism completely or I'm shunning socialism completely because I don't think it's healthy to have a, a purely 100% capitalistic system, um, nor do I think it's healthy to have a 100% socialist system. And so even if kind of looking at how our country is modeled, um, social security is not a capitalistic idea. It's a very social, I mean, just as self-evident in the words itself, it's a very socialistic idea and system in place. Um, and so I think what what we need to do is find the best of both ideas or ideologies or systems in place and bring them together because it is possible to do. And that's what we've done pre-30 years ago and uh, before I feel our country started going in a downward spiral um, because we're able to go ahead and, and get the best of both and have them work together. And so a human-centered economy to me looks like putting back into place 
the community uh, uh, requirements and um, and and changing the corporate uh, law structures in each state, where it's not now your duty, your only duty is to make the most money out of your shareholders. Now your second duty is also to how do you give back to the communities and the people that you're hiring and 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 the communities that you're in and working out from. What are you doing for that? And so it's more this social entrepreneurship, this 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 social activism that needs to be incorporated back into the corporate system, where now like. Our GDP isn't being measured just uh, is, isn't our, uh, the 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 welfare of our country isn't just measured on what the GDP number is, but it's also based on of uh, what's the what's the life expectancy in that nation? What's the divorce rate? What's the suicide rate? What's the conditions of living? Where those factors are, where those elements are used to gauge um, how a country is doing and their performance-wise, and how. And I really feel like the focus needs to be back on our communities. How do we make our communities self-sustainable where they're able to go ahead and be fully empowered um, and, and be able to carry on in their own sense? And so um, it's, it's going ahead and coming up with new ways um, with, with um, sustainable agriculture. Imagine a, imagine a time and place where let's say 30 years from now, I'm living in an apartment building and our apartment building is all solar powered and um, new energy sourced where our building is growing its own produce, where um, where we're producing our, we're generating our own electricity. And, and so it's these self-sustainable communities that we can be moving towards as a country and help fostering and facilitating where we're really focused on the lives of our people and trying to create that system um, to be intact. And so it's, it's cutting down on corporate bailouts. It's, it's cut, it's, it's, it's an ideological and, 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 and mentality shift, to be honest, in terms of how we go about talking about certain things and how we go about deliberating things in DC. And, um, and so those are the different things that we need to all consider. And, and, um, and I mean, there's, there's kind of different, um, issues that are listed on there that we haven't actually uh, fleshed out because we were in our primary election cycle and we really kind of just wanted to get the big ideas out there. And now we will be, we will be filling in the blanks on, on those other issues of what makes that and what, what supports and carries that out. And so um, we'd love for um, those who are even listening uh, for me, I'm not the type of candidate where it's like, oh, these are my ideas or these are my team's ideas and we're moving forward. And, oh, yeah, we're going to listen to it, but not really listen to it and take it into account. No, our campaign is a campaign that's for the people. So if you're listening to this right now and you think, you know what, I'm going to share this idea with David. I am all ears. Please share your ideas with us um, because this is more a co-governance situation with the people. It's not a campaign that's led by an individual or uh, a team of select individuals. This is a campaign that's co-governed by the people, and we want that to be. Um, be we want this campaign to be a campaign that's co-governed by the people, and so that's where we're also continuing to work out what would be the best ways to go ahead and move towards this vision that we're seeing, uh, move towards this better. Um, country and time of of where all people and not not 
not one soul is being left out in, other, in any way because not one soul is looked at or, or treated less than another. And so, um, so that's where we're moving towards. And I feel like it's, it's restoring that. And so one of my favorites in the presidential candidate race I mean, besides Andrew Yang and Bernie, was Marianne Williamson. And Marianne Williamson, although although it was unfortunate that um, she was <laughs> labeled uh, crazy by some media because they weren't able to really get and understand the core of her message uh, and what that was, um, I feel like she's really embodied that in, in what – uh, what we should be really moving America back towards um, if we truly do care about our people. Do you think that's part of the problem in general in America is that politicians for too long have focused on listening to corporate interests and their donors and the people that basically fund their campaigns rather than the voters, the people who elect them, the people they're supposed to represent. So they've not been taking on these ideas that their constituents believe will resolve the issues they're having. They've not been listening to those individuals they're supposed to be representing. They've been listening to outside groups that are lobbying them, that are funneling money into their campaign coffers. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, even in our local area, we had LA, in LA County, we passed a $1.2 billion measure a few years ago to build units for our unhoused neighbors. But to date, we've only built 22 units. Um, and so it just kind of makes you think, why? What is going on? And it's, it's, I mean, the harsh reality is that behind closed doors, like we have elected officials in our city and county government having special relationships and interests with these developers where um, the project doesn't need to cost that much, yet it does, where uh, we have local zoning laws that are so strict that uh, without a majority, you're not able to go ahead and build more affordable housing units, where you're not able to go ahead and build multi-dwelling units near high-density areas that make most sense to do. But because of these local zoning laws, we can't. And the reason why is because these local elected officials have relationships with the developers because these developers are their donors. And so in order to continue pleasing them and receiving money, they can't just relax zoning laws to help the people because then their money purse strings are tied. And, and so um, and so this this whole overturning citizens versus united, I mean, politicians even in Congress talk about over needing to overturn it, but they haven't yet. And so so it's it's a matter of just this continued lip service and talk that just continues to happen. And I think our American people are coming to this point in time where it's like we're not that dumb anymore. Like um, this is actually not right. And we I think we have more rights than what we sh that than what we are being afforded right now. And it's kind of this realization that's happening in different pockets. Um, it's slowly happened over the past few years, but now I feel like it's even um, accelerated and um, with this whole pandemic crisis and everybody being quarantined and everybody being laid off left and right. And it's this moment of realizing, oh my gosh, I'm being abused right now as a US citizen. I am being abused and and this abuse that the and I know this might seem far fetched for me to label it as abuse but but it is literal abuse in the terms of how are you 
giving these corporate bailouts and and pledging your allegiance to corporate interests when your own people are suffering and dying right now if that's not abuse i don't know what else is abuse and and i think for the american people because we've experienced this abuse for so long it's been it's been to the point where it's been mind numbing where where even with i mean i i grew up um, in a lot of domestic violence so i can speak from this perspective of being a victim where where even with kind of the analogy wise where you see domestic violence victims where where they don't acknowledge it at first that they're being abused and and when you try to offer them help or have them call for outside help they're like no 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 it's okay it's okay no it's fine it's fine and i think it's come to that point where us too as the american people up until now we just become so indifferent apathetic that it doesn't even occur in our minds that we're being um totally manipulated as the american people but then now slowly we're realizing oh i need to actually care for myself i actually need to care for my mom and dad who are who are struggling for my family who's struggling i actually need to give self compassion to myself and to my family and to my communities and i'm not talking about self compassion of like the form of self pampering or if we're going getting massage that's a different form of self compassion that's needed at times but a bigger idea of self compassion where it's like oh i'm being wronged right now and i need to step up for myself that's a form of giving self compassion to ourselves and i think that's what the american people are realizing right now in stepping up for themselves because it doesn't make sense that um before the three pillars uh, used to be for american people in saving for retirement was a pension from the company that they received was um social security and was savings we had those three pillars but if we look at those three pillars now do companies offer pensions to their employees hell no that phased out years ago um but when it started phasing out there was a bunch of talk i mean this probably also predates my time as well but there was a lot of talk about oh even though we're phasing out pensions this will also be in place to help the american people but whatever they talked about never came to fruition so now out of the three sturdy legs that we have pensions gone so now we have two legs that are left if you look at her social security a lot of people are afraid that that's going to disappear if if more protections and measures aren't aren't being done to protect that so now we have a wobbly social security leg and now we look at the last leg with savings do american people have savings no eight again 78 to 80% of them don't live paycheck to paycheck and so we've actually as the government we've actually imagine the uh, a person sitting on a chair with uh, with three legs we've actually cut that leg so now the chair is like lopsided and not standing on its own and then we've cut off the other leg and now we're cutting off the other leg where the, these chairs have no legs and we've come to this point where our american people have no hope to look forward to where there's no light at the end of the tunnel no matter how much they work and toil like ants and slaves and so is that the world and life that we were born into is this is is that the reason why i was born into this world to toil away like a like an ant for the rest of my life without even being able to be present and experience life to its fullest moment without being able to go after those true desires and that calling in my heart that I was born after and and there's millions of people that they were born into this world knowing that they had a certain calling and purpose to do or men or multi purposes 
And that's what we need to be able to allow to happen and allow our people to pursue. But we're not as a government. We've utterly failed. And this is the sad this is the sad reality that must be confronted and must be brought to awareness to all peoples in every single communities, district and state of our nation. And um, and that's that's something that um, a lot of people have realized and are now stepping up. And, and, and this is, I feel, just the beginning and just the cusp of um, it, because if our government doesn't do something, there's going to be a mass rebellion. There's going to be a mass uprising. And I know I might be jumping too fast. I mean, some might say, whoa, whoa, you're jumping the gun, David. Slow down, slow down. But no, we've come into a point in time where where we're at that last thread. And so if we don't do something about it, something's going to happen. And so uh, for me, Edward, a year ago, would I have imagined myself running? No, I had no idea that I was going to be running for office. But it's because we've come to the state of, oh, my gosh, if you're not going to run, I'm going to run for office. Like, this is freaking ridiculous. And so it's, it's with this sense of kind of shock that I threw in my hat to run for the race. And it was, it was, it was more like, dude, guys, we need to, we need to help this ship um, from, from sinking right now because we're all sinking right now and we need to do something about it. And so that's what this campaign is about. And, and if, for those who are listening, if you have um, stories to share with us, please share with us. If you have ideas to share with us on how we as a government, as, as, as elected officials can go ahead. I'm not an elected official yet, but how we can go ahead and move towards that. Please email us. My email is david at davidkim2020.com because this campaign is really about the people and moving forward with the people and helping and helping the people. Finally, for listeners who are hearing what you're talking about and listening to what you're saying here, why should voters elect you in November on November 3rd, 2020, as the next congressman from California's 34th congressional district? Yeah, um, well, we've given, the, we've given the current congressman three years as a chance to show what he's going to do for the people. He's failed. And so now it's time to let somebody else take that chance and take that baton and really fight for the people and not just be lip, not just be delivering lip service. Um, so he's had his chance and now it's time for a new person to step into office. And that's why you should vote for us. We're 100 percent people powered. We've signed 100 percent corporate free pledges. Um, we reach across the, we reach across the aisle. We have Republican supporters, Libertarian supporters, Green Party supporters, Democrat supporters, and we're really that campaign that's pushing for those values. And so that's why you should vote for us this November 3rd election. David Kim, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much, Edward. Thank you for having me on. That was David Kim, who's running for office in California's 34th congressional district. You can find out more about him on Twitter at DavidKim2020 or at DavidKim2020.com. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you want to help support the Hard to Report podcast, you can now give $5, $10 or $20 a month to the show at Patreon.com forward slash the Hardy Report. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.